If you're visiting with us today, my name is Troy Dunn. I am filling in for David Meninsky today, and I am honored to do that and humbled to, to uh, share the Word of God with you today. I just got back from vacation and see that we're still in the desert, literally. Dinah talked to you last week about the living water and about what is in our lives that keeps that living water from coming forth. And I hope to shed some light on that today. And Donna's going to speak about the bread of life next week. And I'm not going to steal her thunder, but we are going to talk about manna today. I'm in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, and this is what it reads. And the ramble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish, fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Manna. They had been in the desert now for about a year. They had come from Mount Sinai, were traveling, and they were tired of the manna. I don't know why. It's, it fell from heaven. It's this wafer-like that looks like it had been cooked with a little oil and honey. But I kind of compare it to turkey dinner, okay? I don't know about you, but at Thanksgiving, we cannot wait to get to that turkey. And we dive into it. Eat till we're full. And the next day is even better because we get turkey slices with gravy. And the next day, it's turkey sandwiches. And the next day, it's turkey casserole. And the next day, you get the point? It was manna here, manna there, manna everywhere. In the morning, they got up and gathered the manna. And it was manna muffins. And the manna pancakes, manna casserole, manna cotti. They were tired of the manna. But here's what really was happening, folks. What really was happening wasn't the manna. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted it like it used to be in the good old days. You ever been to a class reunion where the people sit around and talk about all the times? And, and I went to one and it was really neat. But there's this one guy that I watched and it was Really interesting to watch him because as he talked about the old days, his eyes would light up and he got this faraway look. And he never really moved past that time. Yesterday. Well, this was not the only thing that the Israelites had to deal with. God had placed in their midst the tabernacle that moved from place to place. It was a moving sanctuary. It was in the center of the camp and God took the Levites and broke them into four camps and put them on four sides. And then he took the twelve tribes of Israel and he broke them into four camps and put them on all four sides. And there were strict rules about where they could camp and where they couldn't. But here's the clincher for them. They did not control the timing of anything, really. Because, you see, they followed the Shekinah or the Shekinah glory of the Lord. It was in this cloud and it came down and it rested on the sanctuary. And when the, the Shekinah glory of the Lord lifted, that was the time that the trumpets blew and it was time to move. All the camps at once, real quick, get your stuff together, move forward in the fashion and in the order we told you. And the Bible tells us in Numbers that, that they would stay at a place maybe Two weeks, maybe two months, maybe a year, maybe not even 24 hours. And the trumpets would blow and it was time to move again. They didn't control the timing. I see that happening in our church. I do. 
I see it in families with small children. They come to worship God, but when they get here, they look really frazzled, and I never knew why. Now I know. I've got two boys. You get up in the morning, you're going to go worship God. And, and, and their, 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 their breakfast has to be done. Then they've got to get in the bath. And, and, and then there's, you know, Cameron's got on his flip-flops when he should have on his Sunday shoes. And Christopher's running around with the hairbrush, throwing it around. And Cheryl's trying to get dressed. You know, I see these families, they come with their kids, they get here, and they say, we're ready to worship God. And I can understand it. These are the times that Cheryl and I talk about the good old days. B.C. before children. It happens to us. I run the new member classes here at our church. And sometimes I see it happening with new members in our church. I see that they come from other churches. They get disenchanted with our church. They wanted how it used to be at the other church. And I was working with one particular man, and he was just disenchanted with the church. He didn't like the committee meetings. He didn't like a Sunday school class. He couldn't find a small group that he liked. And he told me, he said, you know what? I don't think these people like me. And you know what? I don't like some of them. And I was pleading with him. I said, come on, you've got to go to church. You really do. And he said, give me one good reason I should go to church. And thank God his wife helped me out and said, David, because you're the senior pastor of this church. I really shouldn't do that because he's got plenty of chances to get me back. But if David were here today, I promise you, he would be honest with you and tell you, in the tenure at this church, there were days he wished he could go back to the good old days at Bernie. It happens to all of us. It really does. Yearning for yesterday. Or events that happened in our life that we cling to and we can't let go of. One of the most wonderful events of the Christian church happened in John 20. I'm going to read it to you. Jesus' resurrection. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Now we know Mary, don't we? We know Mary Magdalene. She's the one that that Hollywood likes to cast as the woman of ill repute, right? I can tell you after studying these scriptures, I can find no evidence that she was a prostitute. None whatsoever. You read it yourself. But I can see where Jesus at one time cast seven demons out of her life. So I'm not saying the woman didn't have problems. Okay? She did. But a story she had to tell. She was one of the few women that followed Jesus around in his ministry. And she also paid some from her own pocket. She was the one that set his feet and anointed his feet with oil. Probably the only one that understood he was talking about the fact he was going to die. She owed him everything. And so she was there at the the crucifixion. She's here on the third day. And the stone is rolled away. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. We know this is John. That's how he referred to himself. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. She didn't know that Jesus was alive. Insinuated he's laid down somewhere. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Now, 
I digress a little bit, but I can't imagine why John would put this in this scripture, except for eons. He could just punch Peter in the side and say, they're reading it again. I outran you, buddy. Oh, man. I don't know why they put it in there. And so John, stooping and looking in, saw the linens wrapping there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter, therefore, also came following him and entered the tomb and beheld the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but, but, but folded up and placed by itself. Then John came in and he saw and he believed. What was it that John saw that made him believe finally? Made him believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. I want to take you to a tradition that, that the Israelites had. Back in that time, there were lots of servants. And that's the way they paid off their debts. And, and, and it was good that they did that because there were lots of good families. And so a, a master would be sitting at table eating. And the servant would be attending. And sometimes the master would get called away from the table. Somebody would come to the door or something would happen. He would get up and walk away. And the servant would come and look. And no, it's not time to clear the table. They'd walk away. Every time this would happen. But one time the master would get up and walk away having never said a word. And the servant comes and knows it's time to clear the table. Why is that? Here's the reason. When the master got up it was not through, he would simply throw the napkin down. But when he was finished with his meal, he would fold the napkin and lay it to the side. Could it be that when John looked in that tomb and saw that face cloth folded and laid to the side, that he could hear in his ears the words that Jesus said on the cross, to tell us die, which means it's finished. It's finished. Significant for us as Christians. The Romans had another meaning for the word to die. It was in their court systems for when one of the people that had committed a crime had fulfilled their debt to society, they got a certificate. And on that certificate they would stamp to die, which means paid in full. For you and I, that is significant. That our sins are paid in full. It's finished because of what He did for us. I go on. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the foot of the body where Jesus had been laying. Now, I don't know why Peter and John did not see the angels. They didn't mention it if they did. Here's an interesting fact is that the angels, this is the only place in the Scriptures, the only place you'll find angels sitting down. Now, I have no idea what you're going to do with that information, but I studied it, so I wanted to put it in here. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. She still thinks Jesus is dead. When she had said this, she turned around, and behold, there was Jesus. But she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said, Mary. And Mary turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni! And she said it just like that. Because see, this was Jesus. This was the one that had changed her life. This is the one that had cast out the demons. She owed him everything. 
And I can see that she runs to meet him and to hug him. And Jesus says to her, don't. Is that right? Yeah, it is. What am I missing here? He says, don't cling to me. Mary, the woman that, that had, had followed him everywhere and that had sat at his feet. And here was the embodiment of love and compassion and salvation and resurrection. And she goes to hug him because, see, she realizes now he's alive and things can go back to the way they used to be. And Jesus says no. He could have just as easily said, Mary, things are not going to be the way they used to be. It happened in January. My eight-year-old Cameron got up one morning for school and cared about what his hair looked like. It just broke my heart. I know he's growing older now. He's not the little bitty boy that he was. I wish he felt the same way about showers. But anyway, Cheryl gets up. And she helps him do his hair. And when it's just right, they take him off to school. And when she comes back, she's got tears in her eyes. And I know what she's thinking. It hurts my heart too. And so she sees Christopher, the four-year-old, running around. She grabs him and hugs him and says, Don't you ever grow up. But they do grow up, don't they? Life's not static. It changes. Kids grow up. They graduate. They move off. They go to college. People move in and out of our lives. Some get married, some don't. Some people that we love very dearly, they die, and it hurts badly. And people get divorced, and, and things happen, the ebb and flow of life, and, and someone gets cancer, and things are never quite the way they used to be. Jesus tells the disciples, Go and give my message to the world. It's a new day. And I'm going to give you a new spirit. One for today. Don't worry about denying me. Don't worry about the fact I've been crucified. Those things have passed. Don't cling to them. As he said to Mary, I'm going to give you a spirit for a new day. Jesus is not saying to us that something needs to be celebrated. Celebrate it. If something needs to be remembered or someone, remember them. If you need to grieve, grieve. If you need to make things right with someone or apologize or make peace, then do that. But move on. Cheryl and I have found out some things in our 14 years. One is that we can't bring Dad back. I wish we could, but we can't. It's okay. We'll get to see him again. He's got this fantastic Retirement plan. It's out of this world. We cannot bring back our children. I mean, we, we cannot keep our children small. We can't. And we wouldn't if we could because, see, that's not the answer. The answer is to live fully in their lives each and every day so that when they sprout wings to fly off, we'll know that we were there with them every step of the way. When you have your arms and your thoughts so full of yesterday, you cannot embrace today. Be with them every step of the way. That's what the Israeli camp didn't know, the Israelites. Chris is going to put a picture up here, an artist's rendition of how he thought it looked, the camp of the Israelites. 
But as happened so many times, we didn't pay close attention to what God said. And so he didn't give any thought to the fact that the camps could only camp on the ordinance of the compass, north, south, east, west. Not north, south, not east, not northwest, none of that in between, just north, south, east, or west. No thought was given to how many were in each camp. Jesus Christ was with the camp. Even here, He was with them. And here's how we know this. Balaam probably was the only one who got to see the camp from afar off and from above. He was hired to curse the camp of the Israelites because the nations were afraid. And so he's up on a hill, up on a cliff, and he looks down on the camp of Israelites and he could not curse them. Because when you take into account everything that God said in Numbers, this is what the camp looks like. Before you and I were born, there was a Savior. Someone who cared about you, that loves you, that wants you to move forward in life. And perhaps today Jesus is saying to you, whatever has happened in your life, whatever event or whatever people, I want you to let go and receive the new spirit that I have you for you to move forward. And so my prayer for you today is that you will accept the past for what it is. You will celebrate what needs to be celebrated, grieve what needs to be grieved. And then with the help of Christ, move on, receive a new spirit, one for here, for now, for today.